If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. Today, we're in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning with verse 7 and working our way through verse 11. Again, another message in our series of working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written, addressing some of the most important and greatest subjects that you and I will ever deal with in life, including the one on prayer. That's what we're talking about today, prayer. The title of the message is simply Ask, A-S-K, Ask. Hope you have your bulletin with you. You'll find the outline printed for you there. The bulletin will help you to keep up with the message. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, and I'll begin reading with verse 7. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him, will he not give him a, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus is, always has been, and always will be a man of prayer. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are filled with references of our Lord praying. He prayed, for example, at his baptism. He prayed many times when he went out into the desert seeking a secluded place. He would pray in the morning. There were times when he prayed over the children. He prayed before he chose the 12 disciples. He prayed before he fed the 5,000. He prayed at the tomb of Lazarus. He prayed at his transfiguration. He prayed for Peter, saying to him, after you have been restored, to strengthen the brethren. In John chapter 17, we have recorded his high priestly prayer. In the garden of Gethsemane, the eve that he was doing to be betrayed, uh, he prayed. He prayed while on the cross. Later, as he walked along the road to Emmaus, having arrived at Emmaus, he prayed there in the room with those who had gathered there. He prayed at his ascension. And today, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me, praying this very moment for you and for me, as well as for this service. Is there any wonder that his disciples, his most intimate followers, who observed this magnificent man and his life of prayer, would say to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. In the passage of Scripture, Jesus uses three key words in teaching us how to pray. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock and it will be open to you. These words form an acrostic, A-S-K, ask. The word ask, if you noticed, is found at least five times in the passage of Scripture in verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Verse 8, everyone who asks receives. Verse 9, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will he give him a stone 
or verse 10, if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Then in verse 11, he says, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So God wants us to ask him. He is waiting for us to bang on the door of heaven and implore him to help. In fact, Matthew 7, 7, the words ask, seek, and find are all commands. They are what is called the imperative mood. An imperative mood in the language, the grammar is, it's a command. This is not optional. He is saying, I command you, pray, 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 ask, seek, find. Those are all commandments that he gives to us. In fact, you know, if we'll go back to uh, the, the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount to chapter 6, uh, we, we have there in verses 5, 6, and 7, uh, Jesus saying three different times, when you pray. Verse 6, when you pray. Verse 7, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray. And now he is giving us the command, pray, ask, seek, and find. James our Lord's half-brother in his epistle says, you have not because you ask not. Or he says, you don't receive it because when you ask, you ask in the wrong motive. So we need to pray, we need to ask, we need to do so as an obedient child in obedience to the commandment of our Lord who expects us to pray and commanded us to pray and to pray in the right mood and for the right motive. Four things that I want to share with you this morning as we examine this idea of asking God when we pray. And the first thing that I point out to you, of course, is that when we pray, it is to be a personal prayer. We are to pray personally. If you'll notice in verses 7 and 8, the personal pronoun you, it will be given to you. You will find. It will be open to you. In verse 8, he says, he who seeks to him who knocks. These are all personal pronouns speaking of a personal relationship that we have with the living God. God loves us. He cares about us. And he, uh, we, are, we are his children. We call him father. He said uh, in the Lord's prayer, when you pray, pray this way, our father. So we have a personal relationship with the Father who loves us, who wants to answer our prayers and who showers out upon us many, many blessings. Uh, not like one who would say, if you ask for a fish, would you give him a serpent? If you ask for a, a, a piece of bread, do you give him a stone? Oh no, you being evil human beings know how to give good gifts to your children. Don't you think God the Father will give to you what you ask for? So we are to pray personally before the Lord. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 and 8 and 14, he again underscores the personal relationship that we have with him. Your father, your father, he says in verse 6. But you, when you pray, go to your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In verse 8, again, he says, do not be like him, for your father knows what you have and need for before you ask it. And then in verse 14, he says again, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. So the first lesson that we learn from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 is we have a personal 
intimate relationship with the living Lord God who cares about us and wants us to pray to him and to ask him for the things that we need in our lives. Notice the second thing, not only are we to pray personally, but we are to pray for particular things. I want to go back to the Sermon on the Mount in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, and point out to you four things that the Lord says that we can pray for in our prayers to the Father. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11. Notice the words, give us. Notice in verse 12, forgive us. Notice in verse 13, lead us, deliver us. Those are four major particular things that Jesus says we ought to pray for when we talk to the Father. So let's examine in depth a little bit uh, about these four things that we are to petition the Father for. First of all, we are to pray for daily provisions. Notice in chapter 6 and verse 11, he says, Give us this day our daily bread. Now, it may not seem spiritual to you to pray for daily bread, but it is just as important for us to pray for daily bread as it is for us to pray for our daily spiritual needs. God is interested in meeting our physical needs, not our physical wants, but our physical needs. And we are to pray on a daily basis. Pray on a daily basis. Lord, give us this day not just our daily bread, but our daily needs, whatever that may be. Everything we need, everything we need comes from the Father. No matter how much money we may earn, no matter how hard we may work, no matter how clever we may invest and save and buy and sell, everything you and I have in a material way comes from our Heavenly Father. We daily depend on him for our every, every need. We live one day at a time and God has promised to supply our daily needs. Let me take you back to the Old Testament to show you examples of what I'm talking about in meeting and praying for our daily needs. So take your Bible and turn back to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus will begin in verse uh, chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. We'll want to camp out here for just a moment or two. So you'll need to turn Exodus chapter 15. Also Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 15 and Exodus 16. In Exodus 15 and 16, we are told how God met the three basic needs of the Israelites and those same three basic needs God has promised to provide for us. I don't know about the, the headings in your Bible, but in my Bible, in chapter 15, beginning with verse 22, the heading reads, The Lord provides water. And then at the beginning of chapter 16, the heading in my Bible reads, The Lord provides manna. And then in chapter 16, beginning at verse 8, the heading in my Bible says, the Lord provides meat. Here are the three basic things that you and I eat every day or drink. Water, manna or bread, and then the meat. So water and bread and meat. And the Lord is providing for the Israelites those three basic needs. They are on a journey. 
They have just been set free from 400 years of bondage. Moses and Joshua are leading them. They are out in the wilderness. They are running out of supplies because they had taken everything they could carry out of the Egyptians. In fact, it was forced on them. They were glad to get rid of them. And so they had a lot of supplies with them, but as their journey continued, they began to run out of things. And one of the things they needed was water. And so in verse 22 of chapter 15, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, uh, they could not drink the water. Uh, was, the water of Merah was bitter, therefore they, they named it Merah. So the people gathered Moses at Moses saying, What shall we drink? And they began to cry out. And so the Lord said to Moses, Take a, a tree and throw it in the water. And the waters became sweet. And so they could drink it. And so they, uh, they drank the water. Uh, you can keep your place there, but if you would just look over at chapter 17, uh, you, you find uh, again there in chapter 17 where Moses is standing at a rock. And again, they are in need of water. And the Lord just said, Moses, you've got that rod in your hand that you use to part the waters uh, of, uh, of the Red Sea. It's the same staff uh, that you have in your hand that you used when you put the staff in that water. It all turned to blood. So you take that staff and you strike that rock and water will come out. And that's exactly what happened. If you'll notice in chapter 17 in verse, uh, verse 2, therefore the people uh, quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And verse 3, but the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses. Verse, seven, four, six, verse 4 says of chapter 17, Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do? And then verse 5, the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff, which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I'll stand before you there on the rock, and, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out, and the people will drink. So the Lord provided them the water to quench their thirst, a daily need. Then notice also going back to chapter 16, the manna. They were hungry. And beginning with verse 3 in chapter 16, the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. I wish we'd have just never left Egypt, is what they're saying. Uh, they're just belly aching and griping. They're running out of food. They're hungry. Uh, boy, when you get hungry, you just say and do all kinds of things that under normal circumstances you wouldn't say and do. And so they're grumbling, they're complaining. In verse 3, he said, well, I wish we were still back in Egypt when we sat down by the pots of meat, when we had bread to the full. You've brought us out here into the wilderness to kill us with hunger. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion, what, every day, what, what, every day, every day they were to do this. They weren't to go out and just, just gather up all they could hold and, and, and have a whole week's supply. No, it was to be on a daily basis. Pray to the Father like this. Give us this day our daily bread. So every morning when they woke up for the rest of their lives as they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, every morning when they stepped outside their tents, it looked like it had snowed. There was manna everywhere. The word manna, look down at chapter 16 and verse 15. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is this? 
for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread which the Lord had given you to eat. Now, in the English language, in verse 15, it says, what is this? In the Hebrew, the word is manna. The word manna means, what is this? They looked at these little, little white wafers, and they looked at it, and they said to each other, what is it? What is it? Moses, it's bread. It's bread. Now, he said, don't be greedy and gather up more than you need for the day, because if you do, worms are going to get it. They didn't listen, and so... They just gathered up all they could hold and they ate to the full. But then the next morning they went to get what they'd already collected the day before. And just like Moses said, it, it was eaten up by the worms. Again, Moses, the Lord said to the people, gather it on every day, every day. Except the only exception to this was for the Sabbath. He said, when you go out there, what we would call Friday, it's the day before the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, so it's okay for you to gather enough bread, enough manna that will suit you for two days. But any other time you gather up more than you need on a daily basis, it's going to be eaten up with worms. Again, why do you think that? Because the Lord wants us to know that everything comes from Him and we are totally dependent upon Him for everything we have and every single day we ought to thank God for the water and the bread that we eat. Notice a third thing, and that has to do with the meat. In chapter 16, beginning with verse 8, Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in, in the evening, bread in the full of the morning. And so he says in verse 8, meat to eat. Now again, because of the sake of time, we, we can't spend a, a lot of time on this, but in chapter six, uh, 16, Verse 8, he said, you'll have meat to eat in the evening. If you'll skip down to verse 13, Matthew, uh, Exodus 16, 13. So it came about at evening that the quail came and covered up the camp. And in the morning, there was layers of dew across the camp. So he not only gave them manna, bread, but now he's given them quail, meat to eat. If you were to go over to the 11th chapter of the book of Numbers, let me point out just one verse to you from, from Numbers chapter 11 and look at verse 31 and 32. Numbers 11, 31 and 32. Numbers 11 verse 31 says, Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side all around the camp and about two cubics deep on the surface of the ground. Now notice verse 31. He says it was a day's journey this way and a day's journey that way. How far can you walk in a day? Well, let's just give them benefit of the doubt and say they walked a mile because there was a million people so a mile that way and a mile that way. There was quail everywhere. And how deep was it? The Bible says in verse 31, it were two cubics feet. Two cubics is three feet. They had manna everywhere and they walked out there. There was quail for a mile that way and a mile that way, three feet deep. Will the Lord provide? <laughs> he sure will. He sure will. The three basic needs that they need, go back to, uh, uh, to uh, Numbers, oh no, Exodus, excuse me, Exodus 15. 
and look at verse 12 in chapter 16. Exodus 16, 15. Exodus 16, excuse me, I'll get it right. Exodus 16, verse 12. 16, verse 12. I have heard the grumbling of the sons of Israel speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. That's why the Lord does it that way. He gives to you your daily needs so that you'll never forget everything you have comes from God on a daily basis requiring daily gratitude. Over in the Psalms, just write this reference down if you care to. Psalm 105, verses 40 and 41. Just listen to it. Psalm 105, verses 40 and 41. David is rehearsing what just happened as we've read. Verse 40 and 41 says, They asked and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water flowed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. So David is reminding them of the blessings that they have received. God will meet your daily needs. In Philippians 4:19, Paul wrote, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Dwight L. Moody, the evangelist, called Philippians 4:19 God's check, and he described it this way. The words, my God, is the name of the firm that's printed on the check. The words, shall supply, is a promise to pay. The words, all your need, the amount to be paid. All your needs. The words, according to his riches, the deposit in the account against which the check is drawn. The words, in glory, is the address of the bank. And the names by Christ Jesus is the signature that's on the check. God has promised to meet our daily provisions. Notice the second thing that we're to pray not only for daily provisions, but to pray for pardon. In the model prayer, he said, pray this way, forgive us, forgive us. Now, sin is described in many ways in the Bible. Sometimes it's described as a disease. Because the wages of sin is death. And so we have a spiritual disease. We die. Sometimes it's described as disobedience or darkness or defiance or transgression or distortion where we take what God has given to us and we twist it and misuse it for, in ways that it was not intended for us to be used, such as drugs and alcohol. Uh, the drugs and alcohol that we have are, are a blessing when we have an illness in those drugs and that alcohol given to us to fight infections and the diseases that we have when we take it and turn it into an alcoholic beverage or to get high on drugs and everything. We twist it in a way that God didn't intend for us to use it. And it's sin. And sin is described as a debt. Forgive us our debts. Paul talks about this in the book of Colossians, chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, that God counseled the debt of the charges against us and took it away, nailing it to the cross. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by the victory over them on the cross. So it's just like God just took a long list, a long sheet of paper, because we have a lot of sins that we commit. 
And God writes down all the sins that you've, that you've committed, ever will commit, ever even think about committing. He puts them all on the list. And when Jesus died on the cross, God nailed it to the cross. Every sin you have ever committed, are committing, or ever will commit, God forgives. God forgives. Nailing it all to the cross. That doesn't give you a license to go out and just do what, well, if God forgives me for all I do, I'll just go out and do it. God's going to forgive me. Oh, no. Boy, if you do that, there's something wrong in your theology. You just don't understand what the cross means and what Jesus did to die for your sins. If you'll say, well, I'll just profess Christ and then I'll just go out and live any way I want to, uh, then your want to hasn't been changed. I sin already more than I want to, and so do you. And so it doesn't give me a license. If I live like that, then there's either one of two things wrong. Either I've never been saved, or I'm a disobedient child of God and God's going to take me to the woodshed and he's not going to let you get by with it. And sometimes it may mean a premature death. God just say, it's better for you to die and come on up here and be with me than for you just continue bringing shame to my name. I believe God does that sometimes. I'm not one to say who, when, and where, and how, but I believe God does it. I really believe he does. So we're to be forgiven. One of my favorite quotations is by Charles Spurgeon. This is what he said. Let us go to Calvary to learn how we may be forgiven and let us linger there that we may learn how to forgive. Ah. Learn what Jesus did to forgive us and how we ought to forgive one another. The third thing he says that we are to pray for is leadership Lead us not into temptation. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew to be his disciples, his words were, follow me. I'm the leader. Follow me. I'll, you're fishers of men. I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. He came to Matthew, the tax collector, and he said to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. The Bible says that Matthew immediately got up and followed him wherever Jesus leads. That's where we'll go. In that beautiful psalm that means so much to all of us, Psalm 23, twice in Psalm 23, the, the, the psalmist said, He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. God wants to lead you. He doesn't save you so turn you loose that you can just go live any way you please. When you get saved, when you trust Jesus as your Savior and accept him as your shepherd, you're turning control and leadership of your life over to him. And you are to follow him. Lead you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Lead you by the still waters. Lead you through the dark valley. God will lead you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Number four, pray for protection and deliver us from evil. The word evil there could be more accurately and literally translated from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. He's talking about the devil there. And there, there's, Jesus is saying when you pray, you pray that, that the Father and I will lead you away from the evil one, that we will protect you because you're going to come under fire. You're going to be under attack. That's what he said to Peter. Peter, 
Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I'm praying for you. Now, we oftentimes think that is just directed at Peter, but in the Greek language, the word you is plural. He wasn't just talking about Peter. He was talking about Peter, but he said, Satan desires to sift all of you, but I am praying for all of you that when you are restored, you'll strengthen one another. Peter, that means when you get restored, uh, you come back and you strengthen the other apostles. And so he's talking about all of us, that God would protect us from the devil because the devil is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. He's out to get you and to destroy you. And he does it by tempting you. And he is saying, pray that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond the ability that you have to withstand that temptation. So pray. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one, 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says. Now notice number three. Not only to pray personally and to pray for particular things. We are to pray with persistence. Notice in verse 7, and I've given the New Living Translation, uh, translation rendering of, of these words because this is the literal meaning of it. It isn't just ask and seek and find. The literal way to translate it is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. This, this speaks of persistency. It, it speaks of determination. It, it means that you don't give up. On another occasion, Jesus says, pray uh, and don't faint. Don't grow weary. In due time, Paul says, you will, you will receive. You will be blessed. So oftentimes, we, we might pray and say, oh, Lord, I, I need this. Lord, I pray about this. And then we'll go for a long time without praying. And we, then we wonder, why doesn't God answer my prayers? And he's teaching us here, you, don't give up. Just because your prayers haven't been answered immediately, it doesn't mean that they won't be. God always answers every prayer either with a yes or a no or wait a while. You know, wait a while is an answer too. But we're not to give up. We're to be persistent. I don't know if you ever heard about a, a man by the name of Mel Fisher. Mel Fisher uh, is a treasure hunter. He, he has a boat and equipment and the crew and they go out on the ocean and they look for sunken treasure. In 1960, he began diving off the coast of Florida in search of a priceless treasure from a Spanish fleet that had sunk in the 17th century. For more than 16 years, he searched day in and day out. Some of his team members gave up and quit. Some of his investors lost faith in him, but still he kept seeking until finally on July the 20th of 1985, he found what he was looking for, the Spanish gallon Itocha, containing a treasure worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You can go on the internet and see it. Mel Fisher. It took him more. Listen, it took him more than six thousand days to find the sunken treasure but he wouldn't give up he just kept looking kept looking kept looking six thousand days until he found it i want to give you a couple examples quickly luke chapter 11 
Just take your Bibles and look at it. Luke chapter 11. Beginning with verse 5. Jesus, this is Luke's account of, of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 5, he follows up with an illustration. After he says, you know, give us and protect us and so forth, lead us. He says in Luke chapter 11, verse 5, uh, he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to, to, to set before him. Uh, now, this was a custom of their day that if, if you entertain anybody in your home, somebody stopped by to visit with you, uh, you were required a, a sign of hospitality and friendship that you were welcome. You fed them something. He didn't have anything to give them. So that's why he's, he's going over to his friend's house. It's in the middle of the night. Why this guy shows up in the middle of the night, we don't know. But I mean, we travel at night too, don't we? We go off on a trip and we don't think about wait, 10 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, early in the morning, arriving back home. So whoever this guy was showed up in the middle of the night. It was customary to show their friendship and welcome and him and give him something to eat. He didn't have anything. So in verse 7, from the inside, the answer he answers the man, his friend says, don't bother me. The door's already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Verse eight, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Because of what? His persistence. He just said, knock, knock. I need some help. I need some food. My friend is here. Knock, 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 knock. Get on your nerve after a while, won't you? <laughs> you didn't give up until the guy opened the door and said, here, take whatever you need. It's not that God's that hard to get an answer from. It's just saying be persistent. I want to give you another example. Uh, uh, turn in your, in your uh, Bibles to Matthew. Go back to Matthew. This time chapter 15. And this is uh, not only the guy pounding on the door, but this one here, uh, it really spoke to my heart, and I'll show you why in a moment. Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 21. Matthew 15, here's this Syrophoenician woman. And in verse 21 of Matthew 15, Matthew 15, 21 says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. Now, why? I, I think, uh, you know, why, why do we want something from the Lord? Over in, in John's gospel, uh, there's where Jesus uh, performed miracles and and uh, gave them food to eat, fed 5,000 people, and the people followed him, and Jesus turned and looked at him. He said, why do you follow me? Do you follow me because I did a miracle and showed you a sign, or do you follow me because of who I am? Why do you follow Jesus? Do you follow him just so he gets something out of him? Or do you follow Jesus because you love him and want to bring honor and glory to him. You know, that's why God saved you. God didn't save you just to save you from the flames of hell. That's a byproduct. 
You read the first chapter of the book of Ephesians and three times Paul says the reason why God saved you so you could bring glory to him. And so Jesus said, why are you following me? Because you saw me perform miracles. You have, you have no interest at all in bringing me glory and bringing the Father glory. And the Bible says in John chapter 6, they turned and walked away from me. A lot of people do that. You don't give me what I want. Well, you're, you're not, you don't serve the God I want to serve. So they walk away mad because they didn't get what they wanted. So here, here's this woman. Her, her daughter is demon-possessed. She comes to Jesus and, and she says, my daughter is demon-possessed. Will you deliver her? Jesus doesn't say anything. But she doesn't give up. Look at verse 23. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. <laughs> and I don't know why it was. When I read that, I, I just started laughing. Just visualize this in your mind. Jesus is sitting down at a table, and in those days, uh, the dining room sometimes was an open-air thing. People could come by and, and, and watch you eat. <laughs> They could, they could watch you entertain your guest. And so I imagine, it doesn't say so in the scriptures, but if that were the custom of the day, here's Jesus sitting out in an open air area and he's sitting at the table and this woman is saying to Jesus, my daughter is demon possessed, will you heal her? And Jesus just ignores her. But she doesn't let up and she turns to the disciples and it says in verse 23, the disciples just finally got all they could take out of her and they come to Jesus and says, send her away, do what she wants and give her what she asked for because she keeps shouting at us. Shouting. <laughs> help me, help my daughter, help me, help me, help me. Not just knocking, helping, shouting to God. You ever do that? It's not that you're trying to get God's attention. It's just trying to get your heart right before him. I looked at some of the other translations. Some of them says they came to Jesus and said, she's bothering us with her begging. She keeps crying. She is following us and making all this noise. She's still following us and calling out. The Moffat translation says she's wailing before us. You see, the thing about asking and seeking and finding is the intensity of it. It gets louder and stronger. You ask, you seek, and you knock. And you cry out to God. And you don't stop and you don't give up and you keep, whether God answers in this life or in the next, he still will answer. And it may not be the way you want him to, because notice he says in the model prayer, pray in this manner, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's nothing that you can ask for that is out of the reach of prayer than that which is out of the will of God. And as long as it's in the Lord's will, it will be answered. So don't give up. We've got to go on quickly. Let me share one final thing, and that is this. The fourth idea is we're to pray because God has promised. And what has he promised? To give you. To give you. He gives generously. How much war will your Father who is in heaven give 
to you much more, much more, much more, more than you asked for. An example of this is over in the book of Malachi where he says, bring to me your tithe. Uh, If you will bring your tithe to the storehouse, he says, I'll open the windows of heaven and I will pour out of you a blessing so great it'll just keep coming and keep flowing and keep flowing and you'll say, Lord, you're flooding me. (laughs) You're drowning me with your blessings. It's enough, Lord. It's enough. He gives generously. God is not a stingy God. He doesn't have clenched fist. His hands are open to give you more, much more than you could ever imagine. Not only does he give generously, he gives good gifts. (laughs) We sang that earlier. God is good all the time. God is good. Thank you. Notice he says, verse 11, he will give what is good to those who ask him. The bread and the fish are good gifts. The stone and the serpent are bad gifts. And he says, you're you're human beings, you're weak, you're sickly with sin, you're evil people. You give to your children what they ask. Don't you think God who is holy and righteous and just will give you more than you'll ever need and everything God gives to you is good. Well, in conclusion, just say two things to you. If you're here today and you have never been saved, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, the most important thing that you could ask of God is for him to save you, to save you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, to call on the Lord is to talk to him. Just like when you got your cell phone up to your ear and somebody says, what are you doing? You say, I'm calling so-and-so. Well, what do you mean you're calling? Well, I'm calling so I can talk to him. To call upon the Lord means you talk to him. And if you've never been saved, he says, if you'll ask me to save you, I'll save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you simply, from the heart, not just lip service, Jesus said a lot of people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from it. You've got to mean this. It's got to come from the heart. And you've got to be willing to turn from your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus and confess to him, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I have sinned and I can't do anything about it. I can't save myself. I'm I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to come into my life and save me. I accept you as my Savior. That's how you get saved, very simple. And then make it public. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. And that's why we give an invitation at the end of the service to give you uh, one way that you can publicly let people know that you have trusted Jesus. There's joy in heaven over one sinner that repent. We like to get in on the joy. So that's why we give the invitation. And the second thing I say to you, that if you are a Christian, and you've been living a disobedient life, 
and you haven't let him be the Lord of your life and you, you go your own way. You know, I, I discovered a, a new definition for sin. The Bible says that sin is every person turning to his own way. That's what sin is. Sin is doing your way rather than God's way. Sin is doing what you want to do rather than what God wants you to do. So if you profess to be a Christian and yet you've been living a world of life and we can't tell the difference between you and the lost person, there's something wrong. And the way you get it cleaned up is that you come to the Father and you say, Father, I'm your child and I've not lived the way you've wanted me to. I've done things, said things that I should have did, done and said and I know that wasn't right as your child and I'm asking you to forgive me. And the Bible says if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My, there's no, no better feeling in your life than to know that when you're out of the will of God and you get it right with the Lord, oh, what a burden has been lifted. So how is it with you today? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you asked him? You have not because you asked not. Have you asked Jesus to save you? Have you asked Jesus as his child to forgive you for the way you have misbehaved as one of his children? Let's bow together. And so, Father, I've expressed it in a way that they have to answer those two questions themselves. I, I can't answer that for them. You know whether or not they have asked. And they do too. And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that where it is needed, that you will bring conviction to our hearts. And for that individual who's never trusted Jesus and never asked him to come into their lives and save them, oh, Spirit of God, convict and convince them beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's no other way, not just any way, but the only way to be saved. And if there is a Christian here, whether they come forward or not, Lord, just in this moment of prayer, that they'll say, God, forgive me. And you will. And it will be to your glory. In your name I pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please? And if God speaks to you, you come.